0: What we're going to talk about today, there's no, um, well, I'll get to that in a second, but it may be a little different kind of for, for me to get to talk about. So I was actually kind of, this week, I've been kind of nervous about it, which is weird. So I don't get real nervous talking with you guys because I like most of you a lot and the other ones I like a fair amount, you know, or whatever. And so, uh, but Lily, this week, it was so funny. We, we went to Guam for two weeks uh, not long ago. It was great. See her family and all that. And It was awesome. It was really, really fun. But it reminds me, too, of where my sweet, beautiful, super intelligent wife grew up. The English is different, you know? It's just not the same. And so this week, I was like, man, I just, you know, I was, I was telling her we were talking about something. I was like, you should just trust yourself, you know? I was like, like this week, like, what am I going to talk about? I just need to trust that that's right. And she goes, it just may not be funny, and if, if no one laughs, it's totally okay. She was like, yeah, trust yourself before you wreck yourself. And I was like, mm, no, no? I don't, that doesn't sound right to me. I was like, try, try maybe check yourself before you wreck yourself. If we're going to use 1994 phrases, let's, let's do it. You know? And she was like, no, no, like trust yourself before you wreck yourself. And I was like, no, I still am not comfortable with that. I still don't think that is the right. So it was great. And so this week, all week I've been thinking, man, trust yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> so everyone tell my sweet wife that later. Be like, and she said, I could say that totally. I'm not like outing her without her knowing. <laughs> okay so let's let's turn to mark though <laughs> let's turn to mark and talk about this passage we're going to be um in uh mark six here that's incorrect mark five i was just kidding we're going to read kind of a, a big passage again we've been doing this a few times here's what i wanted to say would be a little different about this a little background on this a lot of times um uh, what I think we do with scripture sometimes, which I think is a mistake. And when we're reading the gospels is that we read scripture and we try to say, read the scripture. And then we say, what does this mean to me? Right? We read it and we say, okay, what does that, what does that tell me to do? What does this mean to me? And we try to pull some application out and apply it to our life. Right? Which isn't a wrong thing necessarily. That's not a terrible intention. It's not bad to do that. There are scriptures that are written. So you will do that. We just went through Ecclesiastes, if you read Proverbs, those are made to show you what you should do with them, right? But the Gospels, honestly, the main reason of Gospels is they're trying to talk about a guy. They're trying to celebrate this guy, Jesus, and tell people about his person, okay? So sometimes what we do is we say, well, what can I take out of that and apply it to my life, when that shouldn't be the question that we start with. The question that we start with maybe should be, what does this say about the man, Jesus? That's the intention of the gospels. Who is Jesus, right? And so maybe we should ask ourselves instead of what should I do with this? Maybe we should ask, what does this do to me, right? What does the Bible read about me? Not what can I read and take out of it and use it for my own personal life or not use it for my own personal life if I dislike it. Maybe we should just ask ourselves an honest question. If this says blank about Jesus, what does that do to me? What does that cause to well up in me? What does that say about me? What, why am I rebelling against that? Why do I like that? Ask ourselves these questions, right? And so this story, there's not a lot for someone to kind of command us to do from this story. But I think of of a lot of stories in Mark, this is one that's, that's pretty intense. It's, it's, There's a lot of detail. There's a lot involved. And maybe we should ask, what does this story tell us about Jesus? And then at the end, what does this about Jesus do to me? The fact that Jesus is this way, what does that cause in me? What does it do? Okay. So that's kind of what we're going to ask. So there's not a lot of commanding us to do anything. So I kind of just want us to to listen to the story and let it speak for itself. I'll obviously look at a few of the verses kind of a little more in depth. We'll kind of talk about other things, but, but I want us to just enjoy the story today. Does that make sense? Reasonable? Awesome, let's do it. All right, I'm gonna read it. It's gonna be on the board. You can follow along, do what you want. It says, when Jesus had crossed over by boat on the other side of the lake, and you remember what happened last week, this demon-possessed man happens. Kind of a crazy story. Lots of pigs run off a cliff. It's, it's a good one. Um, but then after that, he crosses over to the other side. Um, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came and when he saw Jesus, he fell down at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with Jesus. My little daughter is dying Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal. The understatement of the passage. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all the money she had. Yet instead of getting better, she had only grew worse. But when she saw Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I may be healed. Immediately, her bleeding was stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him, he turned around to the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? This is the disciples. They talk, which is a mistake sometimes. You see people crowding around you, his disciples said, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came to the house of Jairus, came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter, she's dead. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Um, Overhearing what they had said, Jesus told him, do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why is all this commotion and wailing? The child, she's not dead. She's just asleep. But they all laughed at Jesus. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where, um, went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kamum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was about 12 years old. At this, they were all completely astonished. And he gave orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Right? Naturally. She's probably hungry. Yeah. So this story, again, there's a lot happening, right? In the story. Um, There's a few places in Mark where Mark will try to start a story and then he'll interrupt it with another story and then finish. He's like, oh yeah. And then that was still happening, you know? So you have this big scene happening. That's that's a little bit crazy, right? But I I want to notice a few things again to tell us something about Jesus and about who encounters him here. And we'll just kind of start at the beginning again. Jesus comes into this town. There's a huge, massive crowd, right? Um, uh, scripture kind of the NIV translates a little funny the, the, it says the, the crowd was crowding around him literally that means they are they were pressing up him almost crushing him is kind of the way this is talking about so he's famous at this point and there's just masses of people just wanting Jesus so bad that they're going to crush him there's no you know his bodyguards are terrible apparently and it's just not going well right well the synagogue ruler who has important standing in his community, interrupts what Jesus is trying to do and falls on his knees and begins to beg Jesus to come to his house. Now, I've read the story many times. And so this week it was a temptation for me to just skim over that. But here's the deal. I, I don't have a daughter. I don't have one. I would like one. I think they're so cute and they're just, it's great. I'm sure right? Cody says it's awesome to have a daughter, right? It's a winner. He's grinning right now. I can't imagine though, having a daughter that you love, that you're so excited about, you know, that's cute and sweet. You think she does nothing wrong. You spoil her. Probably they do. My friends with daughters do badly and it's awesome, (laughs) right? The Hansons are the worst. It's the coolest, you know? You are great at it. And then the daughter getting sick enough to nearly die, right? And you've tried everything, tried everything and nothing is working. There is nothing else you can do, right? You are in a desperate state apparently, right? This guy is in such a desperate state. He loves his daughter so much and is so distraught by her being so ill that he goes in front of a crowded, peop, a crowded group of people where they're almost crushing this famous teacher that he probably hasn't even met yet. And he is like one of the rulers of the town. The synagogue ruler, he's not just the pastor, right? He is like one of the lawgivers. He is one of the community dispute mediators. He is a leader in the community. And he comes in front of everyone so distraught, falls down on his knees in front of another man, pleading with him in front of everyone, pleading with him in front of everyone, if you don't come to my house, my kid is going to die. Please, I beg of you, come to my house. I've, I've never seen my dad beg about something. I don't think he's overly proud to do it. He's not that kind of man. He's not a gruff man that wouldn't think of it. You know, I, I don't, But I, don't just, I just don't think he's had a situation where he's needed to, right? But I can't also imagine being in a crowd and watching a man run up with his family or his servants and drop down to his knees and plead in the dirt for someone to come to his house to save his kid. That would do something to us if we saw that in the room today. It would do a lot to us, right? If someone you knew did that, you'd know that's a bad state. You wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do, right? Right? But the situation is, the man is, is so desperate that he's, he's ready to do anything. He's ready to embarrass himself in community. He's ready to get told no in front of everyone. He's ready for this not to work. He's ready to humble himself and pay whatever cost. He's willing right now to do anything. The situation that is surrounding his life, that's kind of crushing his life, is so making him so distraught he'll do anything, right? And then, what happens? The story gets interrupted with someone in a similar plight. This lady the story talks about has been bleeding. She's been, another way, she's, she's been menstruating, whatever. She's been doing this on her, on her, this situation. Another way to say that better for all of us sitting here. This has been, this has been the situation for 12 years. 12 years. Not only the medical problems with that, right? You're not supposed to do that. I don't know a lot about anatomy, and I'm the farthest thing from a nurse or doctor in the world, but it's not okay for that to happen that way. Twelve years of this, she has gone broke and bankrupt, trying to fix it with local doctors, and Mark goes out of his way to add this line, and it hasn't gotten better, but in fact, the doctors have made it worse. She's constantly bleeding. And and then that's not even part of it. The societal ramifications are in Jewish life. And I I read this again this morning, just to again, remember for myself how desperate she would be. She is declared unclean when she's during that week of her month, right? She's declared unclean. She can't be in her home. She can't touch her children. She can't um, hug her husband. She can't go into the city. And have coffee with her friends, because I'm sure they had lots of coffee shops back in the day. She can't do any of those things. She has to be away from her home, away from her city. She has to go through purification rites and rituals. If she's touched anything during that time, getting out of town, it has to be cleansed. And whoever touches that thing has to be cleansed. So if her if she opens the door to leave town and her husband closes the door for her without purifying the very door she touched, He also has to be going through cleansing rituals for a day. He can't talk to anyone or touch anyone or they're unclean now. And it starts this terrible cycle of everyone having their whole week disrupted, their whole day disrupted. It's just, it's it's a bad situation. It's uncomfortable for everyone, even worse than it already is for for her, for the family, everything else. It's just not a good situation. She's been living this way for 12 years. She hasn't had community in 12 years. 12 years of not being able to touch anyone or you feel guilty because they have to go through cleansing rituals for a day or even longer if they didn't know and then touch someone else because then they made them unclean and they're the unclean giver and that's worse. Also, I mean, not even talking about Deuteronomy and and Leviticus law, there's also tons of laws. The Pharisees would add on to that. And by this time, laws had gotten so severe towards that woman that if they could prove she knew and she did it maliciously to make someone unclean, they could kick her out of town and abuse her, possibly kill her if the person was important enough. This is, this is not a good state for her. She might as well, in their society, be a leper who can't have contact with anyone, can have no affection from anyone, can't be loved by her family as she's dealing with this ordeal that has bankrupted her and her family. She is not a part of Jewish life right now. An outsider, the most desperate of desperate. And she comes to Jesus and it says, she thinks in her head, oh, if I can just touch the man's clothes, surely something good can come of this. If I can just crawl through the dirt when he's not looking And reach out my hand in that humble way in the crowd and perhaps just glance his garment. Maybe, maybe I'm good to go. Maybe something will better my life. This is all I've got left. Because again, she's going to walk through a crowd making them all unclean. Touch a religious leader who's going to go heal a synagogue leader's daughter from death. And she says, no, I don't care if I make him unclean. I don't care if the world hates me. I don't care if they find out and I get stoned for this, which she would. I have to just touch his clothes, right? I just, something, anything. I I just need something from him. Please make me better a little bit, right? Desperate, desperate. Here's the deal one of the more exciting things is Jesus apparently is gentle with the desperate. He's not like you and I, he's not like you and I who points out to the desperate, look at your life. What's happened to make you this desperate, right? That's common for us. We look at a desperate situation and we say, well, yeah, that is sad, but you know, have got out of that a long time ago chain of events that took you here you know jesus doesn't reply to that he doesn't entertain that thought it doesn't seem synagogue ruler comes most of the synagogues have rejected jesus at this point he doesn't say oh now you want me now you want me because now you're desperate you weren't living like you wanted me a week ago right that's the way we assume jesus will act to us Right? We assume when we need Jesus, Jesus is just ready to be like, oh, now you need me? Where were you last week when I asked to meet with you? Right? We, we assume that's his response because that's our response. right? Our kids hug us and they say, oh, we love you. And you say, oh, do you need something? And we laugh, right? Apparently, Jesus is not this guy. Apparently, Jesus does not do this. He isn't waiting to show the synagogue ruler how he should have found him a week ago. He knows the man's desperate. It's compassion on the desperate. Compassion that leads him to get up and go towards the guy's house. Compassion that makes him stop when he's going to go hill a 12-year-old and speak kindly to a 40-year-old. Right? He is gentle to the desperate. Some of us are just desperate, right? Who knows what it is? Maybe it's your fault. (laughs) Maybe it's your sin that's making you desperate for righteousness, right? A lot of times that's where I am. It's my fault. I'm desperate. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's illness. And you're just desperate pleading. You'd offer anything, right? Maybe it's just the chaos in your life. You'd give anything for steadiness and peace, right? You'd give anything for the chaos to just calm itself. You'd do anything for a job, anything. You'd do anything to have that relationship with that family member restored, anything. You'd, you'd fight through a crowd and touch someone's jeans, You'd you'd get on your knees and beg someone in front of everyone. Maybe you're just there, or you're close, right? Jesus is gentle to the desperate. He is not waiting to point the finger. That is a lie. It is not true. That's us, not Jesus. That's us. We're those people. Jesus apparently is not. He goes, he even... Proves this more and more. I love this. This is one of my favorite things about this passage. For sure, for sure. The lady comes and she falls down at his feet and explains everything, pleading, trembling. It says because she knows she could be stoned by the whole crowd. She knows everyone is thinking, oh my gosh, did she touch me? Do I have to leave now? Did I touch you? What happened? Who who is this? She's explaining it. Everyone's getting, I'm sure furious, gasping. It's, It's a big ordeal, right? What does Jesus call her? Jesus says, daughter, right? Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. He, he, he shows her now, daughter, you've come to me. I am a father to you. Okay. I'm not a synagogue ruler. That's not me. That's not who I am. I'm not the law giver right now. I I am father. I'm your father. Daughter, I, I have compassion on you. Then it goes through, he gets to Jairus' house, right? And he, he uses this little phrase. Now, this phrase, our Bible translated it, and um, it says that this phrase means little girl, I say to you, give up. It's actually it's like endearing um, pet name for a daughter that a, that a father may use. It's like a very um, common thing. Like if you call your daughter uh, darling or honey or sweetie, or if you have a special name only you use as the dad, right? My dad had this special name for Lakin, and she had the special name for her dad when she was little. And they only called each other that name. If I tried to call her that, she's like, no, 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 no. You can't call me that. That's my dad's name. And mom would try, and mom would get mad. And it was super funny. But regardless, that was their special thing. Just them. It was special. It was unique. That was what they had. Jesus uses a phrase similar to that. For this dead girl in a bed gently takes this girl's hand and kind of says, sweetheart or darling or my daughter, my child, get up. Get up. Get something to eat. Live your life. Skip around, right? Right? father. Jesus literally displays here to everyone watching, I am calling them and asserting to them my fatherness to them, right? i have Courtney stand up and read a passage uh, in Matthew 7 that describes this. You can go ahead and put it on the board now, man, if you don't mind. You can go ahead. It says, um, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, you will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know that what good gifts to give to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to you, to those who ask him? If your son asks for a piece of bread, you're probably not going to give him a rock as a joke. Let's mar your teeth, my son. That'd be awesome, right? Your your kids, you go to, this is a terrible. I'm not even, I don't need to explain this as you go to a seafood restaurant and you get a snake. That's stupid. But, Regardless, no one does this. Jesus is saying here, like, look, fathers don't do that here, right? Normal fathers, even if it's a bad father, probably won't give a kid a rock to eat and make him eat it. Probably, right? There are terrible fathers that abuse in terrible ways, but that one's, that one's extreme, right? When a kid says, I'm so hungry, and you say, oh, awesome, we're all having fish. Except you, ha, cobra, burn, right? No one's, that's terrible, Jesus is like, no one does this. He's like, no one will do this. Talking about 1994 sayings, burn. That's terrible. That's bad. But he says, he says, no one does this. He says, and you're all evil people. He said, you're all selfish, ridiculous people. And even you aren't going to do this. He goes, how much more when you ask the father for something, the father who is in heaven, how much more will he not give you what you need? He says, he's not going to wait for you to ask something and then heap on you abuse. And then Jesus says, I am your father, daughter. I'm not going to heap upon you abuse. He said, you are desperate. You've been bleeding for 12 years. You haven't had community in 12 years. I don't want that to continue for you. Get up. Get up. And live your life. Hug your husband. Play with your kids. Live your life. Enjoy your life. And then he takes this little girl who's dead. The mourners are wailing outside, and he tells them to stop, and they laugh, which is crazy to me that that would be, that they would pay them to mourn, and then they would laugh. It's ridiculous. And Jesus says, Oh, my sweetheart, get up. Let's have lunch. He fathers well. He fathers us well. Jesus doesn't give us a snake when we need some fish. He doesn't long to give us more heartache when we just want mending. He's a good father. Good one. And he wants to father us. The interesting thing about him fathering this lady that I love that needs to sink in with us, I think. I've tried to this week and it's not, I don't know how well it's going, sinking into my own heart. But again, the law says this lady has broken the law, touching his clothes, right? She's broken the law. In fact, she's broken law-like rules. She she really could be killed legitimately. And they wouldn't Jesus in that day wouldn't seem evil for doing it. Now, obviously, we have different laws, and we would not think that's okay. His society would not have looked badly upon him for that. Some people would have praised him for that, for following the rules, for following the letter of the law. They would have praised Jesus for allowing everyone to just give her punishment for it. You know? Maybe she should have prayed harder, he could have said. Any of those things he could have done, right? Right? But instead he shows us and I I love that he shows us this with this lady he shows us that he has a choice. Jesus right here has a choice. He could let the law dictate his actions or he could let mercy dictate his actions. He could let the law and rules dictate his response or he could let compassion give his response. And he chooses mercy. He chooses mercy for you. When the law says you shouldn't have it. When the law says you get what you deserve. Jesus can can allow that. It is in his means to allow that. And instead for this lady. He chooses mercy instead. For us he chooses the cross instead. Instead of letting law dictate our punishment. He chooses to let grace dictate our punishment. Instead of letting law and the letter of it and the spelling of it dictate how our family life is going to work and how our punishment within that circle is going to go, He chooses to let redemption do its work with you. He chooses mercy over punishment. He says, I would rather have mercy than sacrifice. He says, I'm waiting To pour out my grace on you. Just ask. For the love. Just ask. Touch my cloak. Right? Come beg in front of everyone. To have healing. Let's do this he says. I love your daughter too. Right? And again. There's no command in any of this. I'm not saying any of us should come down and beg for whatever, who knows what you should do. There's not a lot of command as far as how to act or what to do to me in this passage. This shows us who Jesus is. Jesus is gentle with the desperate. He asserts himself as father in our lives and a good father won't give us stones and snakes. And he shows that he lets mercy dictate his response to us. And the question is for us, what does that do to us? Don't ask, well, what does this mean to my week this week? What should I do now? No, no, no. Just what does it do to you? Does it just make love well up a little bit in your belly deep down? That, does it make that time right before you sleep, that like deep thinking time, does it just make it swell with joy because you're thinking about someone who redeems your life to the point of being gracious to you when you're desperate? Does it maybe well up in you a desire to give that desperate nerd, to give that gentleness out to everyone else you meet? Who knows? Whatever that is with you, it, there needs to be something that it does to us. Maybe it does nothing. Why is that? Also, ask that question. We're going to. The worship band's going to come and they're going to sing some more. They're going to play a great, they're going to play great songs, honestly. They fit so perfect, right? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's going to sound great. And you could sing and tune out or you could respond, whatever that means. Whatever it does to you, you can let it spill out. However that looks for you. But I just want us to, to just enjoy that Jesus is this Jesus. Let's just together, however many of us, on a random Sunday when we have a lot of things going on, let's together enjoy this Jesus. Let's do. There's no reason not to. He seems to be worth enjoying. Let me pray for us and then the, the band will come and we'll continue. Lord. We-